Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma. Joining me to take your questions this evening are Alex Dace from Umtombo Wealth and independent analyst Jimmy Moyaha. If you'd like to send those questions to us, please SMS 41392 or email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for your time. Alex, I'll start with you in terms of how the markets performed today because we are seeing a sea of red. And I'd like to know if this is a, a change of narrative from what we saw in the first week or two uh, of January. Good evening. Um, look, the, the market's been incredibly strong since September. It also had a strong start to this year. So some form of pullback, I guess, is necessary. So at the moment, the market's a bit concerned that the Fed might, you know, increase interest rates too far, and as a result, could push the economy into a recession or a bigger recession that's currently priced in, into the market. So uh, as a result, you know, at the moment, investors will be bouncing off all the time. Are we going to, is the Fed too aggressive, or if, if it is not? So sentiment will be swinging here at the moment, and uh, today's just a risk-off day. Um, fact of the matter is, U.S. inflation remains sticky was high and probably will remain sticky for longer and uh, the fact that china's reopening uh, and at all prices most likely could strengthen on these levels probably indicates that inflation is going to be a problem for at least this year even next year so i think the narrative that you know we're going to start cutting interest rates soon is perhaps a little bit um too aggressive and as a result you could see sell off in the market or you will see this volatility as we see in the moment how quickly things change in a day because we've been going on about how uh, the Fed will definitely cut in the second half of this year. And we, I even had an interview with Bank of America today. They had their briefing on their 2023 outlook. And they were also saying that they actually don't see any uh, Fed uh, interest rate cuts this year. Jimmy, what did you make of uh, the market activity today? Well, I mean, from, from a market's perspective, I think the... Uh, obvious uh, theme, as, as Alex alluded to, is the fact that uh, markets are very cautious at this stage. Um, and we, we saw this uh, sort of throughout the week as well. We had a, a rates decision out of the Bank of Japan as well. And leading up to that rates decision, there was a lot of expectation that they would widen their yield curve. They didn't. That then resulted in um, a huge uh, adjustment from an investor standpoint to say, okay, but if they're not doing this now, are they going to do it in future uh, rates decisions and, and that sort of thing? And I think the, the overall theme at this point is uh, undoubtedly uh, avoiding recessionary uh, conditions and doing whatever it takes to, to do that from a central bank perspective. Um, I think the, the inflation conversation uh, has gone through uh, its motions. They've gone through uh, a lot of what they wanted to. And from the U.S. side as well, uh, even though we are expecting or we did see a low inflation print and we're expecting to see some positivity coming out of the Fed, it's still too soon to tell as to whether or not they're going to commit to rate cuts because we've also had um, Fed members come out and say uh, very hawkishly that they're going to see or they want, they're want they likely to see interest rates uh, peak above the 5% level, mm -hmm. which on the current trajectory, uh, I think we're sitting at about a peak of about 4.5 to 4.75%. So that means we're still in for more rate hikes if, the, if that is to follow through. Um, I think at this stage, the, the main thing is a, a sort of a cautioned approach that, that investors are applying. And even though stocks are trading at discounted levels, it's not to rush in at this stage and say these are the bottoming out levels or these are the, the lowest that discounts are going to get. Because if a recession is triggered, we could potentially see even lower levels than now. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's get to our questions coming in. Uh, so today, actually, an announcement that came in, I think, just after the markets closed. Uh, Fortress's REIT status has been uh, removed. Uh, firstly, Alex, uh, 
what are the consequences of this? What ha what happens from now? Look, so I think perhaps take a step back. So Fortress was really had the A and B structure. So for quite some time now, they've been trying to see if they can do some sort of consolidation so that they can actually pay a fair share of dividend out for, that will satisfy both A and B holders. Now, uh, they've been unable to reach to agreement. And as a result, they've been unable to pay dividend. And now they, they have lost their REIT status. So as we know, in property companies in South Africa, predominantly most of them are REITs. Um, and they pay out vast majority of the income out in distributable earnings or dividends. And that is not taxed. Mm. Right, so that's the benefits of, of, of being a REIT. So now the fact that they're not a REIT anymore means they can start paying tax and they will not pay any form of dividend for the time being. Now, obviously, this will have a negative impact on some shareholders, which is only forced to hold REIT companies. For example, certain institutional mandates will only allow REITs in their properties and non-REITs will not be included. So they, there is a bit of an issue there. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the REITs also got a lot of negatives. The fact that you have to pay out the vast majority of money out in income means you don't have enough money to do, for example, uh, capex or you know, acquisitions. And so so now Fortress will be in a position where they can actually de-get a balance sheet quite substantially. Um, they can do all sorts of, of developments. Um, and quite frankly, even they, they can even decide to increase it further the gearing because they don't need to worry about paying dividends. So they've got a lot of options now for the next, let's call it two to the next three years to try to add some value to, or try to grow the nav of the business. Yeah. But then at some stage in the future, try to get back their reach status. So there's not necessarily all negatives. Okay. But certainly will have had a negative impact as we've seen in some of the share prices. I mean, for example, the A's have been under pressure, B's have been strong. But then I think businesses need to understand that if you're going to buy Fortress now, it's going to be for the nav growth and only dividends again sometime in the future. We don't know when and there will be no income whatsoever on a short term. Ah, okay. So if you're going to buy then, at the second part of this question, uh, please advise if it is better to invest in the A or B shares. Uh, Jimmy, do you have a view? Um, I, th I think at this point, um, something Alex alluded to is that the, the restructuring um, and the position that Fortress is in at the moment um, is, is a position that they don't want to be in. They don't want to have the A and the B set up. They didn't, at least they didn't want to have it under um, the, the REIT setup. And I, I imagine going into um, sort of trading as a normal company as well, they probably want to relook at uh, the terms of that. If, if everything were to remain the same, um, you, I'd probably lean more towards uh, the Fortress B section, but... Uh, or the B share, but at this stage, I think I'd want to wait and see what their plans are um, in terms of growing the NAV. Are they going to then plan to relist? Are they going to relist um, both uh, A and B? How are they going to manage all of that at, and, and map out all of that? So I think at this stage, given that they've now lost this um, REIT status, it's probably best to just uh, take a bit of a beat and say, um, what's the next move from Fortress's side? And that'll give guidance because we could also come out and Fortress could, off the back of this news, say, right, we're now going to consolidate everything and we're going to just have one line of share listing and that's what we're going to go um, and leave listing on, on the JSE. So um, if I were to choose, I would choose uh, the B line of shares, but mm -hmm. at this stage I'd probably be wanting to wait and see Fortress's plans before making a decision. Mm, okay. B, uh, Alex, uh, would you be on the same page, B shares, or do you have a different view? Yeah, I mostly agree there with Jimmy. I think a wait and see is probably the right way to do um, because I don't know exactly what the next step is going to be. And you might also see some actors and investors pushing for something different. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the moment. So it's perhaps a little bit one of those that you say it's 
uh, too difficult to really grasp what the outcome is going to be in diamond to better sit on the sidelines. Mm. But if you look at where the management incentives lies, even though they, they try to dispute this, but most of them does lie to, to the bees, or it used to be with the bees before this now. So, <laughs> and so that's probably perhaps the best way, but you know, I haven't done the work to give you, yeah. you know, exact answers. So I'd rather be, be cautious on that. All right. Um, let's just move on to another property company. Uh, uh, what do you think about Growth Point uh, Properties? Uh, is it still a good long-term investment? Jimmy? Um, well, Growth Point's been one of the interesting stories to follow. So, I mean, if you look at uh, the way the stock has performed um, during COVID, they really did uh, go through quite a bit. They suffered through um, mass vacancies in their office uh, business and that sort of thing. And they haven't really been able to recover from that, much like uh, a lot of the other companies. I mean, if you look at companies like Investec as well, they also, uh, their property portfolio on the office side of it took quite a bit of a dent. Um, I think Growth Point's now going through a bit of a revamp. They're going through um, a bit of a rebrand, changing their look and feel, optimizing some of their office spaces, looking to bring in uh, some new things that are aiming to attract um, tenants and, and retain tenants. I think their ability to recover uh, vacancies and their ability to have um, a high percentage of lettered uh, office space or just in general properties um, is has been something that's set them in good uh, standing and helped them survive the COVID pandemic. At this stage, um, I think I'd want to see a bit more from Growth Point before assuming we're going to get much movement. I mean, the, sh the share price is sort of since 2020, since that drop, it has struggled to break back above, uh, I'd say probably about 16 Rand a share. Um, so I, I want to mm -hmm. see something significant from growth point before uh, pinning it breaking above that level, particularly in uh, the tough recessionary environment that we're anticipating going into. And if the share price is sitting at about 14 Rand 50 at the moment, um, we're not far from uh, the, the recent highs that we've seen in the last two to three years. So again, um, not a bad stock. They've got a couple of good um, assets within their portfolio in terms of properties and, and that sort of thing. But I don't see uh, too much of a growth uh, path for them at this stage. Mm. All right. Uh, quite a number of uh, questions on EOH. Um, so uh, should one just bite the bullet and get out? Or is there something in the price at three rand worth holding on to? Um, and then there's one, is uh, EOH a punt? Alex, of course, they have this uh, rights issue and they announced actually today uh, that that's basically guaranteed uh, to go through. Uh, firstly, uh, how are the terms looking like uh, for in existing shareholders? Okay, we can see that the discount is very, very large. So it uh, shows you that the appetite is probably, you know, you had to really sweeten it in order for, for, for people to follow the rights. Um, look, EOH... Um, the problem, if you want to make an investment, you, know, you need to ask yourself, do you think the core business can really grow sustainably going forward and grow free cash flow, for example, and be actually be you know, a stock worthwhile holding if they do not have this onerous debt that they have in the moment? Now, if you look at the operational performance of, of EOH over the last few years, it has been quite disappointing. You know, obviously, revenue is not particularly great. Margins are perhaps even lower than people anticipated. And they very struggle to really generate free cash flows. So for me, they probably will need to do some form of acquisitions once again to be a viable investment case. So that will just perhaps, so if now you're trying to bail the business out, um, there will be obviously a position where the debt will be a lot better position and also the terms of the bank will be a lot better. 
but most likely for them to grow the business, they probably will need to do a lot more deals going forward. And I'm not necessarily a fan of that type of investment case. Mm. I think it's great innovation. I think they've done an incredible job. I, there's numerous times before over the last five years, I thought they will they will not survive. I think they have hang on as long as they can. But you know, from here onwards, you, know, you can say perhaps there's opportunity post this rice issue, but uh, they haven't convinced me yet. But I'll certainly have a close look at post the rice issue and what the strategy is going to be going forward. Jimmy, um, what do you think about the path that EOH has taken? Because, I mean, they've really tried to clean the house in terms of governance issues and their, um, uh, the, their operations are really, really improving uh, significantly. And I guess this rights off is really just the last piece of the puzzle um, to really map out a, a fertile environment for growth for the future. Um, how bullish are you on EOH going forward uh, after this rights issue? Well, I certainly think um, I'd, I'd like to start off by saying it's commendable the the work that's been done at EOH. Um, I mean, to reduce a debt bill from four billion uh, in 2018 uh, to just over what 1.3, 1.4 billion where it is at the moment, um, and having paid down most of it, and, and being the focus being on freeing up some cash flow, paying down some interest as a result of this rights issue and all the plans that they've put in place. I think it, it certainly warrants um, a punt if you're happy to look at that sort of thing. So if you haven't been in EOH up to now, you've sort of been on the lucky end of it. You've saved yourself a lot of pain. And to get in at three rand on the hopes of something happening is certainly worth a punt given the restructuring that has taken place. But I think what Alex mentioned um, earlier was spot on around the fact that something significant needs to happen from an acquisition perspective, from a strategy perspective, something that's going to say um, the business is now back on uh, good footing. So the, the punt now is on the basis that it is stabilized and it is stable enough uh, compared to where it was, but the punt is not to say that it is going to grow, it is going to give you um, amazing returns and that sort of thing, I think that's going to take a bit more effort from their side. But at this stage, um, with all of the changes that have happened, it's very hard to see uh, the share price sort of going down to zero, um, problems coming out and that sort of thing. They've, they've, bought, they've gone through uh, some of the worst of their storms and they've come out of it and they've surprised. As Alex mentioned earlier, I mean, at the, there was a point where we thought this wouldn't survive as a company. Mm. And uh, they've managed to hold on. They've managed to get to the point where they are now. So certainly worth the punt for those that haven't been involved, provided the company can give investors some confidence or some uh, or dangle some carrot in front of them that will appeal towards uh, investors believing that the share price can rise. Hmm. Um. Yeah, something that uh, seems to have uh, going to be going in a different direction is NAMPAC, um, also seeking a rights offer of about two billion. And of course, we have uh, we've have we have had some shareholder activism uh, coming through, where shareholders are really concerned about the fact that NAS uh, NAMPAC hasn't really uh, been clear on the terms of the rights offer, but also saying that they haven't actually. Uh, proposed a clear plan on a turnaround um, and investors really quite nervous of just giving out money when there isn't a clear plan on how the company will move going forward. Alex, uh, what are you thinking about NAMPAC at this point? Uh, NAMPAC is a very difficult one. Um, in a way, you can say it's too big to fail you know, from an asset manufacturing perspective. You know, it's critical that, that, that NAMPAC uh, survives, but the investors, the active, activist investors do have a very valid point. Um, when NAMPAC 
strategy hasn't worked over the last decade since it entered Africa. They've also lost ground in, in South Africa and also economically South Africa has gone backwards quite a lot over the last decade. So how exactly are NAMPAC going to go from this level onwards if they are if they do get the debt levels sorted? The fact of the matter is you still got massive exposure in, in, in Angola and Nigeria. Those economies are under tremendous pressure. You can't extract cash out of that. So it's likely we'll build up problems again sometime in the future. And NSA, of course, we've also got problems we've gone backwards there. So it's a difficult one. Um, if they, if the rice issue is supported and they do execute well in the plan, you could potentially make a lot of money on, on that back. There's no doubt about it. But it certainly comes with a high, very high risk. And uh, I think that just that is why actors show us on involved because they want to be more involved in this and simply perhaps don't trace, trust the current board or management team to be able to execute yeah. to the most efficient way. Jimmy, is a write-offer the only option for NAMPAC to raise capital? Because I, I remember last year, for a long time, uh, there was really a debate on whether they would go ahead with it or not, um, where even some of their uh, debt expiry dates were uh, extended. And some investors now saying that maybe they could start selling some of the assets. Um, do you think that this is their only option? No, 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 certainly not. I mean, um, especially when there's such little interest from investors at this stage or such caution from investors, uh, they might be better off looking at something like an asset sale and saying, um, are we, and this is something we, we've seen uh, happen throughout the pandemic and going into 2022, where companies are sort of looking at their business and saying, um, are there non-core assets that we can dispose of to optimize um, the business to optimize the resource to reduce whatever expenditures that we have because I mean the sale of assets is not just um, the the net income that you get from the, that, that sale it's also uh, looking at the fact that if the asset um, had op significant operational costs you can reduce those costs down um, so you can trim down a large part of your expenditure and that sort of thing as well that might have been associated with uh, the maintenance or or whatever it is that asset related to so I think for NAMPAC they need to seriously um, look at what it is that they want to or what plan that they're going to offer uh, investors before investors sort of give that buy-in and if that plan doesn't appeal to investors i mean investors are already skittish investors are already looking for ways to um sort of put money or guard against uh, recessionary uh, concerns and, and those sorts of things so um, at this point asking an investor to say okay um give us more money put more money with us we don't really have uh, a concrete idea of where it's going to go and, and what we're going to do. And, and well, we do have some idea, but it's a less than um, clear idea. It's a very murky situation. It's, just, it's an unsettling feeling for investors to be in, and mm. investors are not going to be keen for that. So I think they might want to explore building up some confidence by way of sort of saying, there's an asset sale, this is the plan, this is the short to medium term, this is how we're going to execute, and just mapping it out a bit for investors. And then investors might say, okay, cool, that's something we'll get behind. Hmm. Uh, there's a question here. Um, while we're talking about uh, packaging companies, I'd like to buy Transpaco stock. I don't know what to look for uh, to check if it's a good stock or not. Can you assist? Uh, Alex, do you look at Transpaco? There's actually quite a few packaging companies in South Africa. Um, we've still got a lack of impact in the Transpaco mm. and uh, Balamekov. Um, of those, I probably follow impact and, and Balamekov closest. Mm. So, going Transpaco. You know, it, the liquidity is a problem, so um, that means that institutional investors really can't buy, so it makes it very difficult to get price discovery. So if you're a retail investor in there, you're most likely going to have to be very patient because 
they're going to buy, they'll have to produce quite a few sets of results to really unlock the value or something needs to happen there. Um, but SA packaging, SA manufacturing, of course, under a lot of pressure. Um, of the low chain experience at the moment, input cost pressures, the fact that the GDP is not growing, member packaging is a function of GDP growth, function of demand. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of issues there. Um, but unfortunately, I, it's been a while since I looked at the company on quite a lot of details, so it'll be unfair to say I want to give a recommendation on that business. But if it does want to buy Transpacker, I would also say have a look at Bala Medcal as a comparison and then decide for yourself which one you think is a better one if you really want to buy into that industry. Ah, okay. I actually have some Bola McCalf myself. Um, Jimmy, uh, platinum stocks. Um, I've been wrecking my brain trying to figure out why platinum stocks have been dipping for the last two days. Can the panel shed some light on this? Of course, there's now this big um, expectation for uh, commodity prices to maybe get to another commodity boom uh, because of the China reopening. But uh, the uh, shining star of it really has been copper. I haven't really heard much on platinum stocks. Uh, what's happening there, Jimmy? Yeah, so I mean, at the moment, uh, as you rightly mentioned, Zanati, the the main thing around the commodities boom and what could potentially spur the commodities boom are the macro factors that we have to look at. And the, the resurgence that we've sort of seen on the copper side of things has been largely off the back of uh, the expectation of Chinese demand for copper as they start to relax. We know that the, the on, on the scale of commodities, um, if you have to sort of compare things like copper, things like um, crude oil against platinum and the demand that China has for those sorts of things, um, platinum's probably going to come in third compared to copper and uh, crude oil. So a lot of the expectation, as you rightly mentioned, around the commodities pricing is going to be uh, dependent on what happens in the, the, the grander scheme of things around um, the recessionary environments. We know that the, the, the ECB, the EU, is already still battling with high elevated inflation levels. The UK is still battling with elevated inflation levels. The US has not come out with a clear direction in terms of what they're doing um, on their side, despite inflation coming in lower. Um, and the, the overall consensus is, if we go into a recession, what's going to be the, the place to be? Where, where do you want to be sitting? If we don't go into a recession, and if, like the expectation is from guys like the IMF and the World Bank and the Institute of International Finance, um, all major houses are saying that the, the, the growth forecast or the GDP forecast for this year are going to be largely off the basis that there is significant Chinese demand. So there's going to be a slowdown in most of the economies, recession expected in a lot of them. Uh, Latin America is also anticipating a commodities uh, boom or commodities export uh, run. And that, again, is going to be demand dependent. So I think the, from a platinum perspective, it's also going to be sitting around the fact that um, Where's the uh, is the platinum going to be sort of earmarked for luxury goods? Is it going to be for mm. um, production of heavy material, heavy machinery, that sort of thing? Um, where the demand is going to be coming from is going to drive a lot of which commodities are going to outperform others. Like all right. Well, gentlemen, let's get to your stock picks. I have about a minute between the two of you. Alex, what will it be today? Yes, I'm going for SPA. Um, so there's been lots of negative bad press regarding SPA especially from a corporate governance perspective, as we've seen in the media. But they are cleaning shop. And um, we saw the re recent resignation of the CEO. Also, the chairman is going to step down a couple other board changes. So that those are positives. Spa share price is trading at 2014 levels. And so as a result, from a valuation perspective, it does look attractive from a normalized PE and, uh, and the likes. Um, yes, the balance sheet is under strain. 
and they do have operational issues in SA as well as overseas, specifically uh, Poland. But if they can trade through this period and get some sort of resolution at Poland, either fix it or sell it, and some of the ones of the current experiencing not being repeated, we do think normalized earnings are going to be quite substantially higher than the current earnings. Um, and also there'll be a quite a high probability that the dividend will also be up at some stage in, in the future. We just believe that the sentiment being so negative towards spot a moment. Mm. This is exactly the time to start building a position in the counter. All right. Um, and Jimmy, on your side? Um, given that we're keeping it local, I'm going to go with Sibanye. Uh, and that is largely something that, I mean, I alluded to a little earlier on the fact that the demand side of commodities could potentially provide a big windfall for them. Currently, share price is sort of sitting, um, I'd say, about 35 to 40% undervalued at this stage. But the main thing is I like that uh, share price at 48 Rand has bounced off of a 40 Rand support level. And at this stage, if we do go into a recessionary environment and we have seen um, signs of that, we've seen uh, the gold price sort of tinkle and edge closer to, I think, $1,920 uh, an ounce level, and if that does start to uh, look more and more likely that we're heading in that way, we saw last time that happened that Sabanya mm. had a big windfall from uh, the sale of their gold exports and, and other commodities. But I also like the fact that as a diversified miner, they can leverage off of um, increased demand in other copper or in other commodities as well. So yeah. my pick at the moment is Sabanya. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, Alex Dace from Umtombo Wealth and Independent Analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Stockwatch is back on Monday, but do join me for your top news stories straight after this. <laughs>